is New Albion calling. New Albion calling. Good evening. My name is Theodore Pilkington Rhubarb, and you are listening to the ARC Light Programme. Now, after we were rather overtaken by current events in the last show, I'm sure you're all glad to hear that coming up very soon is Slumber Time Stories. But first, as always, it seems, it's time for some listener interaction. Yes, despite misgivings on a biblical scale, it's time once again for the listener's telephone-in quiz. Can you guess what it is that I'm describing? (laughs) Now, how this works, should anyone care, is thus. Ah, well, I'll have to delay my full explanation as we have a listener calling in. Well, it better be a listener, and not someone to speak to Mabel again. Ahoy, hoy. This is the Albion Radiophonic Corporation. Theodore speaking. Good day to you, listener. Are you ready to play? Can you guess what it is that I'm describing? Ahoy, hoy. Ahoy, hoy. This is this is Mayor Flange of Treacle Dripping, ringing in from telephone apparatus number three. Uh, uh, now with additional extension in the guest bedroom. Um, uh, ah, Mayor Flange. Uh, whilst it's lovely to speak to you again, haven't you played the Lister's Quiz already? Oh, yes, my lover. Uh, however, last time you called me, remember? Uh, well, for starters, I am not your lover, and I don't really know what that's got to do with it. Uh, secondly, I believe that you are only allowed to play the quiz the one time. Uh, Mabel, Mabel, can you look this up in the rules, please? Um, right. What's that? There are no actual rules. So you mean this man, uh, uh, I mean his worshipfulness, the mayor of treacle dripping, can actually play again? Oh, boundless joy. Uh, Right then, Mayor Flange. It seems, since this is essentially anarchy, you are eligible to try again. Uh, Are you ready to play? Can you guess what it is that I'm describing? Yes, yes I am. Very well then. For three... Wait, wait, wait. Can I get my wife on the extension? We only had it installed last Tuesday. Very, very modern it is. She's very good at these quizzes, you know. Uh, I'm not sure the evidence will back you up on that. But since there are no actual rules, I'm sure that will be fine. Please go ahead. But, but, but be quick about it. I really don't have all day. Doris? 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 Oh, I'm sorry about this. Uh, oh, she must be upstairs. Oh, how wonderful. <clears throat> Perhaps we could proceed without her? No, no, I definitely would like her to be on the extension if it pleases you. She's very good at quizzes. Doris! Doris! Uh, could you trouble your wife to chivy it up a bit? Doris! 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 Yes, my lover? Why don't you summon me on this late Thursday evening? Oh, there you are, Doris. Please, Doris, please can you attend the extension in the guest bedroom? Do what, my lover? The the guest bedroom, Doris. Attend to the extension to the telephone apparatus. Or, you know, the thing that was installed last Tuesday by the kind man from the general post office. Oh, he was a lovely man, my lover. 
I know that. Now, please pick up the extension and join me to play the quiz again. Oh, I do love a good quiz. I'm very good at them. Oh, you fuck. What's that? Um, nothing. Has your wife located the extension yet? Good question. I'll find out. Doris! Doris! Yes, my lover? Have you located the extension yet? The what, my lover? The other telephone. Oh, that. Yes, it's it's here, right, right next to me, by the guest bed. Oh, which is where we left it. Well, what do you want me to do with it, my lover? Pick it up, please, my lover. We're playing the radio quiz again. Oh, I do love a quiz, my lover. Right, right, here goes. Ahoy, ahoy. This is Trinkle Tripping 3. I'm here, my lover, on the extension that was installed last Tuesday. Finally. Right, well, after what feels like at least an eternity, here is your first question for three shillings. Good. We're ready, aren't we, my lover? Oh, yes, my lover. We are very ready now that I've finally located the new extension. We only had it installed last Tuesday, you know. Yes, I know. <clears throat> right, without more ado, and before I basically murder everyone, here is your first clue for three shillings. Floating in the air I go, canvas above, wicker below. Oh, floating in the air, you say. Something, something below. Oh, oh that's very hard, that's very hard. Oh, that's very hard, my lover. Oh, oh that's oh, very hard. Oh, um, I don't know. Can you repeat the clue? No, just bloody get on with it. Oh, okay, keep your shirt on. Mm. Wicker above, canvas below. Oh, I, I think it's the other way around, my lover. What is? The clue, my lover. Wicker above, canvas below. Didn't I just say that? Oh, yes, sorry, my lover. <laughs> Do carry on. Oh, this is very hard. Just guess something. Oh, this is very hard. Oh, it's ever so So you keep hard. saying. Oh, this is ever so hard. It really isn't. Are you going to offer a guess this decade or not? Oh, my lover, this is ever so hard. Last chance. Is it a go? And now on the light programme, it's time for Slumbertime Stories. And this week it's a continuation of a story from a few weeks back called Crash. This week's story has the truly original name of Crash Again. Uh, well, I guess the author was having a break from creativity. Anyway, here it is. ARC presents part one of Crash Again by Darren Callow.
things had not been going particularly well since Ellen Hall had safely landed the great four-winged Sultan Star Super Transport next to the giant triple-train-mounted moon rocket that was Sir Grenville Lushthorpe's latest manifestation. The issue was not with the gigantic rocket itself, which seemed in fine fettle, poised as it was on the centre of three great steam locomotives, preparing to haul it to take-off speed. No, that was all hunky-dory, as was the company of marines now dismounting from the supertransport with only a mild case of airsickness. Even her erstwhile brother-in-arms, the alien plasma rifle and space cat-toting mercenary, Tobias Fitch, had survived more or less intact, given that he was not particularly keen on flying uh, for historical reasons. No, indeed, that was all just as it should be. The real problem seemed to be with the head of the Air Force and New Albion's foremost test pilot, Air Commodore Fairy Loveboat's rumbling stomach. Barely had the passenger doors been opened on the many pistoned engine plane before it marched up to the nearest orderly and demanded to know, What time's lunch, old boy, what what? Notwithstanding the fact that the orderly was, in point of truth, a rather fearsome-looking woman. His plaintive and really slightly desperate question had been met with a suitably Gallic shrug of the shoulders and a fairly disinterested Qua? This had not gone down well with the Air Commodore, who had been inhaling in anticipation of a fearful repast when Ellen had had the sense to intervene with her best schoolgirl Gallic. Um, monsieur would very much like to know a quelle heure le repas est il? Yeah, madame. Le déjeuner n'est pas avant une heure, she replied, disdainfully. Una? That Una? Una who? interjected the air commodore, his tummy rumbling audibly. Who's she then? The, the chef? No, no, sir. Una, I mean Una, is one o'clock, explained Ellen, trying to suppress a giggle. One o'clock? One o'clock? What sort of time for lunch is that? What, 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 what? Exploded the air commodore, glancing at his multifaceted chronograph, which pinged with immaculate, if disappointing, timing to inform him that it was precisely midday. <laughs> ah, well, I suppose the sun's sufficiently over the yard arm, I should think, eh? What? <laughs> Who is for a pre-luncheon snorter? Gee and bally tea, I should go, go. And before anyone could reply, he began to stride towards what he assumed, amongst the motley selection of wooden buildings, was the officer's mess, in pursuit of the aforementioned beverage. What's for lunch, anyway? He demanded of the orderly as he walked, the reply of which was not audible, but caused him to break the orderly further. There's cargo? There's cargo? Is he the ballet chef, then? Or the entertainment? What, 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 what? And with that, he was gone. Ellen pulled a face at Fitch, as if to say, ah, see what I have to work with. Fitch just growled to himself. Oh, well, I guess we should try and find Sir Lushthorpe and make ourselves useful. And with that, and an affirmative meow from Mrs Tickle the Third, tucked contentedly under Fitch's arm, they turned about heel and headed towards the tracks of the mighty Tri-Transcontinental Express. 
The walk to the rocket took longer than they had expected, as the massive edifice was surrounded by many service vehicles and a veritable shantytown of forges, workshops, steam cranes and assorted construction paraphernalia. When they eventually arrived, they were greeted by a clearly impatient-looking Sir Grenville Lushthorpe, all bones, teeth and wild hair, and the equally eccentric person of the King's Astronomer Royal, Scarlet Carshulton, with mismatched shoes and a green lab coat with purple and blue striped jumper untidily pulled over the top. Yeah, what, what time do you call this? demanded Sir Lushthorpe, glaring through a set of triple-lensed optics in a manner even more manic than was usually his way. Pre-lunch drinkies time, giggled Ellen, trying to control herself. At least the Air Commodore seems to think so. Lunch is for parrots, exclaimed Carl Shorten, waving her gloved hands, which gave every appearance of having a miniature telescope attached to every finger. Oh, no time for any of that. Get on board. We have many, many preparations to make, muttered Lushthorpe, and, as he turned back into the train carriage, a great cloud of steam flooded over them from some unseen pipe overhead. Coughing, uh, trying to see where they were going, Fitch, Ellen, and Mrs Tickle III clambered up into the converted saloon car and made after the batty duo, who had headed off along the train towards the complicated scaffolding that supported the enormous rocket. Oh, of all the crazy nonsense I've been involved in, growled Fitch to himself as he stomped along. But if he thought Lushthorpe hadn't heard, he was very much mistaken. Crazy, crazy, you say, rounded the inventor, turning on the entry ladder to confront the grizzled soldier. Not a, not a bit of it. Oh, all makes perfect sense. He continued up into the body of the metal cylinder as the others hurried to follow. There, three-stage rocket. Uh, first stage is the train. Uh, uh, it gets up to speed for takeoff, then a ballistic rocket stage, and finally a catapult to launch the capsule onto the moon. Uh, uh, what's crazy about that? Ellen could barely hold back another giggle, but somehow she did. It's just like a caterpillar when it turns into a rose, added Carl Shulton, without actually making things any clearer. As Ellen continued to stifle a snigger, she attempted to take in her surroundings. Now they were inside the rocket proper. It was a kind of steel-clad anteroom, with many pipes, dials and levers all around, and in one corner a rack of cobbled-together-looking spacesuits. It also, rather alarmingly considering the launch was due within the day, seemed to still be in the process of being constructed. The whole platoon of engineers, some Albiners, but most clearly local Gauls, were welding and hammering and non-specifically engineering in all directions. Um, is it actually finished? inquired Fitch, not looking too impressed. Finished? interjected Carl Shulton, glancing at him through two of her finger scopes. Finished is all in the mind of the cheesemonger. Well, it's coming on muttered Lushthorpe, trying to ignore the nutty astronomer. Uh, probably worth getting an update from Madame Supervisor, though, now you've mentioned it. Uh, uh, where is she? Madame Alas? Madame Alas! The shout was taken up amongst the ensemble, and after a short while, Madame Le Supervisor Melas appeared from behind a stack of oil cans, wrench in hand, and grease 
smeared all over her face. Oui, monsieur? she inquired. Uh, no, I'm fine, thank you. I won't before boarding, replied Lushthorpe confusingly. How's the rocket progressing? Tell me you have at least finished the second stage release mechanism. Oh, we're in very big trouble if that's not working. The Gulwaz was about to reply when a deep and ominous horn sounded, rattling everything that wasn't firmly screwed down, which, as usual, was almost everything. Good grief, exclaimed Ellen. What on earth is that? Ah, that, began Madame Melasse, as all around her engineers began to down tools and shuffle towards the exit. That is the lunchtime on. It is time for the break. Break? exploded Lushthorpe. But, but we've no time for a break. It is the Hirnia Rose, monsieur. You understand, of course, it is time for the Brie and the Burgundy. But, uh, we really don't have time for any of that, exclaimed Lushthorpe. But we must launch today. That soon, I understand. Verstehen, comprenez? replied the supervisor, looking extremely sceptical. Uh, she will not launch today, I am very much afraid. Seeing the look of mild concern on Ellen, Fitch, Carl Shulton, and even Mrs Tickle's faces at this statement, Lushthorpe felt inclined to defend his, if not greatest, then certainly biggest invention to date. Afraid? Uh, afraid? No, 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 not, uh, died. Uh, we must, uh, we must allay your fears, he chanted loudly in a not particularly convincing way. And to help emphasise his point, he picked up a complicated-looking spanner and began to wave it around. Ah, allay! Allay, I tell you! Allay? inquired Madame Le Supervisor, suddenly looking very excited. Yes, yes, see? Allay! Allay! Nothing to worry about! Allay! confirmed Lushthorpe, his tool-waving becoming even more frantic. Ah, very monsieur. With this, she turned after the disappearing engineers and clapped her hands in a commanding fashion. Allez, allez, vite, vite, nous allons, nous allons. Yes, 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 encouraged Lushthorpe, feeling a bit more relieved that people seemed to be listening to him finally. Gosh, yes, very keen, yes, yes, vite, vite, uh, allez, all those naughty Gaulish fears. It was at this point that Ellen given her slightly better command of Gaulish, began to look rather alarmed as all the engineers left, and Madame Supervisor closed and gave every appearance of having locked the exit hatch behind her. Um, I'm not sure that means what you think it means, she began. But Lushthorpe dismissed her with a wave of his spanner and busied himself with the control panel. Seeing that he wasn't about to listen, she turned to the lady astronomer, but she was also fussing around with a kind of reciprocating lunar sextant affair, door similar, and also waved her away. Oh dear, muttered Ellen, turning to Fitch, but he could only offer a shrug. It was at this point that, with a great lurch, the trains began to move. <laughs> Oh, well now, that was a rather exciting end to that part of the story. I'm not sure this rocket really seems quite ready to be launched. <laughs> oh well, what could possibly go wrong? To find out, do tune in again next time for more 
slumber time stories good night new albion i wish you dreams of a bright future all stories voices and characters created by and copyright to darren callum all music by charlotte savica tales of new albion is available to buy from amazon online stores and the soundtrack album can be found on bandcamp for more information go to www.talesofnewalbion.com or search for tales of new albion on facebook tales of new albion is a monkey teaspoon production of Albion Radiophonic Corporation.